Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brewing with BIM. Uh, today's special guest is Matt Webster with uh, CAD DJM. Hey, Matt, how's it going, man? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Dave's on with us as well. Dave, how are you doing, my friend? Hey, man, I'm doing great. It's Friday. Happy Friday, everyone. Woo, Friday. Friday. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Matt, I, I know you mentioned you're still at the office, so I'm, I'm sorry. I'll just drink two beers for you. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> I'm uh I'm uh drinking a little you know something a little bit uh local I guess regional. I uh, found uh, a little Pennsylvania beer section at my grocery store and uh, they had Logyard Brewing. Uh, never heard of it before, but it's up in Kane, PA. They've got this amazing beer called Misery Whip. Man, 8.4%. I drank two of these uh, 16 ounces yesterday and I had to take a nap. So it's great, man. Great beer. Nice. Dave, how about yourself, <laughs> bud? Yeah. Well, I got something a little less regional. Um, so I was actually, I went on vacation last week to Mexico, went to uh, Puerto Vallarta. And while I was down there, you know, I had to do a tequila tasting. And we, we got to uh, explore a few different tequilerias. And I ended up setting, settling on one from uh, La Novina. And it's one of their special edition reposados. And, you know, it was awesome to uh, to learn a lot about the history of tequila and to learn that like 85% of the world's tequila is made in Jalisco, Mexico, right where I was at. And it was just, it was cool to see all of that. So I had to bring a bottle home and figured I'd go ahead and, and crack it open for this episode. Dude, Puerto Vallarta is an underrated stop. Uh, I know cruises go there, but not a lot. Um mm-hmm. I went to Puerto Vallarta about 10 years ago, and I did a, a tequila tasting. We we were we went ziplining down the mountain, um, and it was amazing. It was so much fun. We like rode mules. We had to like ride in the back of a old military truck up to the top, and then you know <laughs> once we could only get so far with the car with the with the vehicle, we had to ride mules all the way up the rest of the way. And it was it was a blast. But coming down, it was pouring down rain. So once we were all piled back into the back of this military truck. Um, they just pulled off to the side of the road and there was, you know, it looked like somebody's house, but it was a, you know, uh, te- I don't even know how you say that word. I'm not even going to try it. Te- tequila, tequila, <laughs> tequila, I think it is. Yeah, 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 that word, man. Ooh. Yeah, place that makes tequila. And man, I got white girl wasted the rest of the trip. It was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I think after like the first tasting that I did, I mean, honestly, they brought out all of their tequilas. You know, they're they're letting you try the Blancos. They're letting you try the reposados the anejo the extra anejo then they got all the flavored ones dude by the end of the first tasting i was buzzed you could have given me any bottle of tequila after that and i probably would have taken it home so i just i decided to not buy any after that first bottle because i was really impressed with their reposado and uh i decided not to buy any after that first bottle because i was uh, i was also white girl wasted dude i tell you what though Puerto Vallarta, amazing. I actually got to go on this, uh, it was a pirate ship excursion, like a dinner trip. And it was a five-hour thing. 
where you literally sail on an old pirate ship that was a that's a replica of, of Christopher Columbus, the boat that he actually found America with. And um, it was it was kind of neat because you're sitting on this boat, you know, and <laughs> they they gave us uh, it, all the drinks were included and everything. So I was drinking Don Julio 70 down there because that's they had it Ooh. like crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, I was definitely feeling myself towards the end of the end of the boat right there. But the, <laughs> I think I, I think being drunk and getting off of the boat, you know how when you've been on the water for a while, you feel like you're kind of when you get off, you feel like you're still kind of uh, waving with the oh, water all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know dude. exactly what you're saying. <laughs> I did um, a few years back. I was helping uh, sail a boat up from Florida up to the Chesapeake. So we did an overnight sail from St. Augustine to Georgia. Wow, uh, dude, that's awesome. To, yeah, to a not Georgia actually. We passed through Georgia, and then we ended up in South Carolina. We had some engine trouble, so that's why we ended up in South Carolina. Uh, that that was that was interesting. So yeah, the, <laughs> oh yeah, the sailing plus a, a a couple drinks and then engine troubles with diesel fumes just mixes perfectly. <laughs> it's a wonderful mixture. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, Dramamine was my friend for two hours. That's for sure. Oh, definitely, dude. I tell you what, I, I, I took my, my brother actually went down there with me. And before we were getting on the boat, I'm like, hey, man, here's some drama. Me. He's like, what is what is that for? I'm like, you got to take it, dude. You'll, you'll thank me when we get on the boat. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's the greatest, man. It is. It's it's nuts how important that stuff is before you go out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So and then uh, tonight when I get home, as Joe said, I am still at the office here. I will be drinking a um, I have a really nice scotch that I like to drink. It's going to be a Belveni Doublewood 12 year age on the rocks. That sounds amazing. It was a left. It was a leftover from my bachelor party last weekend. It was a gift. (laughs) Oh, congratulations, my man. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I had my fair share of uh, of drinks last weekend. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure, dude. Oh, yeah. Oh, bachelor party. That's one of those ones that takes like a week to recover from. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep, that's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Matt. Uh, oh, go ahead. How about go you? Ahead, uh, <laughs> we, were, we were doing the same thing. Hey, uh, how about you tell us a little bit about your background, about yourself? I know we've had Cat uh, uh, DJM on before um talking about different like scan workflows and a few other things you know um you've got a little bit different background and want to want our listeners to understand a little bit more about what you do yes so my background in this industry actually started at a very young age um at the start of djm before djm was a thing the owner needed some help with dimensioning and it was one of the first people to do 3d drafting he was a friend of the families and I didn't have nothing to do during the summer between high school, so he's brought me on to help him dimension things, and that's I drew an entire Rite Aid in 3D, which was my main first part of my background. And before that, my background from a younger age, I grew up with my family actually owning a mechanical contractor. So that's really my background, how I got into this industry was I grew up with my mom didn't have a babysitter, and she had to go watch a helicopter pick for a rooftop unit going onto a school on a a Friday morning. So I was with her in the car looking at, ooh, helicopter as it picked up the the HVAC unit and placed it on the roof. 
So that's how I got my start. And then with the AutoCAD experience, I just kind of grew into this. And I started after college here at DJM. And I was a project manager with the drafting side. I've done the 3D scanning, like you're saying, but I love video games. And I saw a ad for a VR headset and I said, huh, this looks interesting. I wonder how I can use it for work so I can play around with models in VR. And that's how I started developing some workflows here at DJM in terms of reviewing models and reviewing issues that Clash reports don't pick up. And that's, that's yeah. a quick off-the-cusp background of what I do. Dude, that's awesome. It, we've been we've been seeing a big pickup with that, like in, in terms of like the return that you get from investing in that type of, you know, software, that type of workflow. Because really, you know, clash detection, as you're saying, only goes so far. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when you're looking at if interior finishes match or if, if something's too low, something's too high, being able to visually walk through those buildings and be able to set yourself in it. I mean, I, Joey and I have talked about it a couple times. Get When you get into a virtual reality environment, like it, you really feel like you're in it. Like you really get into it. And I think that's, you know, we talked about visualization as being a big part of any construction project. You kind of take it to another level when, you know, you're, you're, you're looking past the 3D model you're looking past the you know 2D PDFs when you actually get into like that virtual environment it it, it like i said it kind of puts you in that experience you're walking around you can actually physically look at different things and as you're saying if you can actually start connecting that into the process of like creating issues and tagging members and tagging responsibility it's huge for that communication oh. It, absolutely. I was going to say with uh, some of the softwares are now integrating with BIM 360, which is a huge step in the right direction. So instead of having to build a model in the old days, you had to export that to a gaming software platform, edit it, add your views, add certain things, and then export that to VR. But now you have software out there that links right with a cloud model. So when you update that cloud model, it's updating the VR headset. Yeah, that, dude. And when you do a issue in the VR headset, it can go back to the cloud model. Which and that you, is the ultimate round trip. I mean, honestly, it is because if you think about it, the new connections that we have with, you know, BIM 360 ACC, they have the capability to push that issue back into the design software. So even if you're, you know, you're not, you don't need Revit, you've never been in Revit, but to actually walk through that building, create those issues and things that you see, and instantly tag responsibility for that, send it back to that person who's drafting in that model. It's an awesome round trip communication that essentially helps that it, it's more than just a design review process, right? It's 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 more than just constructability review. Yeah, it kind it's, of. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say another aspect is the practicality review. Uh, the biggest mm -hmm. thing we've actually used here for with the VR is we've taken our 3D scans, which I, I know. Uh, Johnny at the time was talked about that we can actually take the 3D scans using the software that the scanner comes with and put the scans into VR. Yep. And then in addition, let's say we're modeling something. We can take that model. I found a software that converts the files from AutoCAD, Revit, whatever you need to convert it from to the format that the software can read. So you can see the models that are produced 
in the VR software with the scan overlaid. And that's awesome. That's, and it's that's, you need the uh, a massive amount of RAM and a very very nice graphics card to do it, but it is doable. And we've done that. And the, an example is we were doing a plant where we had to do the we were brought in because the stacks, the existing stacks that were put in were insanely curved. They weren't straight. It just looked horrible. So we came in, we did a scan and we made the stacks straight using existing pieces and trying to buy as little amount of pieces as possible. So what the scan VR walkthrough showed was there's your original stack. The orange duct that you see is the new stack and you could tell that we straightened everything out. That's true. That's a huge piece for being able to see it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's honestly what we've been using Navisworks for for a long time. But even then, Navisworks is also kind of hard to to for someone who doesn't really know it to be able to find specific information. Right. And it doesn't really feel like you're walking through it. It's mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a aggregating software and it's not the most, I'd say, user friendly. Right. When you can put it in a virtual reality environment. I mean, honestly, anybody these days, my nephew actually has yeah. a VR headset, you know, and, and the, the capability to put that technology in anybody's hands for that visualization. It's huge. Is awesome. It is. Yeah, it's insane. And the nice thing that's coming out is now you have VR that doesn't need that insane computer I was telling you about. You just need it's the Oculus, the Oculus Quest, or I, th I yep. think it's called MetaQuest now. MetaQuest. Yeah, Yeah. it's you have that in a link cable your processing data is in the headset itself yep so if you have to view a massive model you can view it using the oculus quest or MetaQuest, and just a standard laptop and better yet with some of the software that's already cloud-based so there's an app for the MetaQuest that downloads to the MetaQuest, and you upload your VR model to the cloud, and you can view it anywhere. Yep, yep. Dude, we've been we've been talking about that quite a bit. We had Lenovo on um, mm. quite a few episodes ago, where we were talking about you know just the the complexity. I want to say the complexity of these models, like the bigger and bigger they get, especially point clouds. When you try to bring that together, it's really heavy, and a lot of these computers nowadays have to be built really hard. In order mm -hmm. to be, you know, to be able to handle it. So what what do they do? What is the answer? Cloud computing. Yep. Being able to put that in the cloud and have the cloud hold that data, and you're essentially just pulling down like a cache, right? You're pulling down a small bit of information that a lot of computers, even these smaller headsets, can handle. And that is amazing technology to put in any. I mean, if you if you really think about it, again going back, like my nephew has this, but you know, you're really starting to connect. I guess, full circle in terms of, you know, we're starting to solve the problem of these huge model sizes and the wear that they have on, on our computers, but also, you know, we're, we're, we're putting that out in the consumer area to be able to give, again, anybody, whether they're a GC, a foreman, they're even just an owner, they're somebody that's inexperienced with this, you, you can put that level of detail, that data in their hand and give them a way to walk around it in, in a simple format that's understandable for pretty much anyone, right? I mean, I grew up with Nintendo 64. I was using Goldeneye oh. 007, so, you know. That was I mean, a great time to be alive. Right? Exactly. And that's what most of these first-person viewers kind of remind me of nowadays. And I'm like, man, I, 
I did this when I was like seven, eight, nine years old. I was, I was my, I was working my way around this game, figuring it out. I'm like, you know, that, that thing we talk about in construction all the time is, is trying to get the younger generations more involved, right? We have to, of course, pass the knowledge down, but we have to get these, these younger generations involved. And exactly. one way to do it is by this consumer technology that they can have at a younger age and get them used to it, right? I mean, these, these VR apps, a lot of the apps, a lot of these kids are used to doing that. And once you get that and you make it, you, you put construction into that, you're, you're combining that passion for, you know, like, like you said, video games. I love video games. And being able to combine the video game passion that I have with construction and being able to walk through these models, like, I enjoy that. It's, it's a good time. It's what makes me want to come to work every day. Exactly, dude. It doesn't it, feel like much of work. It doesn't. Yeah, I we, mean, I sit at a computer and I play on a computer all day with models, and I found a way to do something that I grew up loving to do that's what i do that's and I'm, beautiful man finding a, a, a passion yeah and it's it's crazy that i found that and not many people do but it's something i found and i love doing it i come here in the morning and i sit on a computer i walk around through models it's like a video game that i was playing a while back and then i'm using my critical thinking and my past experience to try to solve problems and that's what i like to do 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 either of you know Matt Wunsch from Autodesk? I do yes, not. Yes, sir. Yeah, he. Uh, oh yeah, Dave. I, I know that was a dumb question. I knew you knew him. Um, <laughs> Matt, Matt, we're, we'll have to introduce you. He's he's amazing. He's a brilliant guy. Um, he set it up so I think he has his Xbox controller so he can navigate through models and stuff, and it's freaking awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, we need to talk. That would be great. <laughs> It's it's a beautiful thing, man. Uh, when you're literally playing a video game, you literally have a video game controller in your hand to walk through these spaces. You know, throw a, a gun in your hand, throw some bad guys in there, and bam, you got uh, Call of Duty. To, Let's go. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that that would be. That's a very different way of of doing things, but so, it, and, and it would work. It would, yes, and it keeps people interested, right? You you're mm -hmm. at home. It's a uh, consumer device you're familiar with that controller at work you have a consumer device it's it's the reason why honestly why ipads took off so much in construction they were one low cost and two they were consumer devices that people already had familiarity with so it's just like oh it's an ipad at work no big deal um there was there there wasn't a mindset that they had to get over um, yeah and so kind of talking about the like the ipad and everything like you're saying and we've talked about Ever, the like bringing the models in the cloud models augmented reality reality i think is going to be a huge kickoff if it hasn't already i know vr is really is where i'm pushing but augmented reality so when the building's actually coming up and you're standing somewhere you scan a qr code and it loads the model where you're standing in that space and you can look to make sure everything's going in correctly and properly so we we have some workflows around this already and it's something you and i mm -hmm. can talk about later I know we've chatted about ACC collection, but yep. there's um, a piece and build with assets where we actually create QR codes. We attach everything to those QR codes. So when we're physically in the space and we scan something, all of that data comes back to us. Uh, there's a geolocation aspect. There's a lot of cool stuff that comes into it. And I only speak about this piece because I actually know about ACC. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are other softwares out there. I'd love to hear hear more about them. Uh, it's not a bias. Yes. I'm just just yeah. <laughs> letting people know it's what I just know. A, yeah, exactly. It's just what we know. But I think the other point yeah. to make there, Joe, is, you know, at first it was the iPad. Now it's the phone. 
Like mm-hmm. you think about it, all the that's that's what we want. That's what the construction industry wants right now are mobile applications that anybody can access from an everyday device, right? And they're coming faster than you can think in two ways. So like bring your own device has been like a mantra of Microsoft and all the big tech companies for, I don't know, 10 years now. They want you to have one device to rule them all. What they didn't count on was that device was actually going to be your cell phone. Microsoft kind of dropped the ball. They're, you know, following along the lines of BlackBerry in this space. They don't, they, they haven't developed a, a reputable cell phone. But the, you know, the Samsungs and, you know, the uh, Apples, they've crushed that market. And the apps that are on those tools actually have, you know, those are the ones that people develop first, first, even for our industry, uh, which is typically not mobile friendly. Mm-hmm. The the apps are amazing. Like they're uh, they have more features and functionality, or or maybe not even more, but a better UI than the desktop and interface, uh, you know, web interface. So uh, yep. we're, we're getting starting to really see. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, no, continue. I was I was going to say we're we're getting to a point where all of this is is getting to the bring your own device and it's actually making sense. Mm-hmm. But um, for construction, that bring your own device is you know it's it is your cell phone. It's your, if it's a work phone or personal phone, whatever. You know, uh, it's it is more than likely going to be your cell phone. That's the one that everybody's, you know, I know how my cell phone works. You know, if I'm 50 years old, I'm out in the field still. And, you know, people think of me as a uh, curmudgeonly, uh, uh, um, you know, somebody who's not technologically advanced. At the end of the day, I'm still using a smartphone and I can use any of the apps on here. And I guess that's the mindset exactly. that, that we're trying to get into. Um to kind of add to that, with same thing with the cell phone, I saw a, a video in a workflow of a VR company out there that someone used one of the new iPhones and did a 3D scan with their iPhone of a room. Oh, dude. Yeah, I did yeah. that, actually. I, I yep. used uh, Pix4D, and I was obsessed with it for the longest time. Like, I, I at first I used it, my first project was my last house in Oregon, mm-hmm. and I, I used... Uh, I used an app and then recap photo to essentially stitch it all together to start getting an idea of what materials I'd place, you know, that kind of stuff, just playing with it. But from there, I ended up scanning this entire hotel room. We were in a conference room and people wanted to see if it worked. So I pulled my phone out and I was able to use Pix4D and actually make this huge point cloud out of the room with everybody in it. And I mean, it's a mesh, right? It's not perfect. Yeah. But. It's getting there, dude. The fact that we can actually, I made a mesh out of my 69 Mustang and I was trying to figure out how to take measurements so I could figure out the dash. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is awesome. When you can put it in, again, kind of everybody's hands and have that level of detail, it's, it's an, I mean, it's a start. I know that right now it's not the best, but we're getting there. The fact that it's there now, we're, we're, we're getting there. It's exciting. So, so I have the, the, uh, is it the 12 I the 12 Pro Max which actually has lidar for the camera. So I done actual 3D scans with an app on my phone and then what this video and everything did was they brought it into their VR software and then started bringing in models and doing markups like they were there. It brought the scan, it's a mesh yeah. like you said a mesh isn't perfect, but it brought it into VR. Mm-hmm. So it's someone could do a scan with their phone, quickly send it, and then you could pop in and say, hey, you see that doorway? Go over there, and you could pop with your headset, go over there, and figure out what they're talking about. Like, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, these 
they've been coming out with these VR, like virtual meeting rooms and things like that. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to figure out how I can do that for my classes. I'm like, man, if you can give me and everybody in here a virtual reality classroom to design things in Revit, I bet you 100% people would be into that. They'd be on it, you know, in a second. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> when we can start to really convert it and make it fun, everybody wants in on it, I feel like. Mm -hmm. We've got uh, contacts over at the Wild, and they created a lot of this technology, man. That we'll, would we'll be the to, video I just talked about. Yeah, we'll have to <laughs> talk about that, man, or uh, offline, dude. Yeah, absolutely. It was a that was the video I saw where someone did the scan with their phone, their phone, and then actually did that. And that is a workflow that would be great to implement. And I've been testing it around here as well. And other things is part of a, a side business that DJM does with. Um, just parts like actual inventor parts and things like that the best thing would be someone has to mail me a part so i can scan it why can't you just scan it with your cell phone or take pictures of yes. it and scan it as well yeah and then you send it to me yeah. that way you don't have to pay for the shipping fee either oh, dude, we were just talking about this i think last week with our our, our last podcast um in terms of like the ways that this can be used, we were talking about older buildings, right? Historical mm -hmm. buildings and the level of detail that th those things have, like the hand carved banisters, balusters, you know, there's so many details inside of these buildings that it's hard to really reproduce without seeing it with those images or that scan. And they were talking about, you know, actually recreating 3D printing with those, but it's mm -hmm. insane the way that this technology can be used as you're saying, like you don't have to ship a part. You don't have to be there physically to actually understand the detail that's in front of you. Like, especially if you're putting it in VR, you can zoom yeah. in on it, you walk up to it, you're like right there. But to be able to put that in someone's hands that's 300, 500, 1200 miles away without needing the time essentially to ship it, to get it, to pull it back, you know, all that kind of stuff it's helping the process so much to speed things up and it's helping the quality when you can actually visualize and see everything that's there. Exactly. And some of those plant jobs I brought up, we've done a couple of them. There's those plants. It's not like they're down the street. The closest plant to us is a seven hour car ride. The average one is a four and a half to five hour one way flight somewhere. So being able to go out there, scan it, bring it back, and put everything in VR to make sure one, it looks correct. And two, everything's fitting and you can visually see what someone in the field is talking about. That's a huge plus. And they always say pictures worth a thousand words. Well, VR pictures worth a billion words because you have the amount Dude, of data and you feel like you're there and you can't explain the feeling to someone. The best way when I do explain it to someone here is I actually went to their house on a Saturday with my laptop and a trial version of a VR software. I set up my laptop in their house and said, put this headset on. It was the owner of DJM. So it's, I said, we're, this is the only time I can get you. Can you do it? And he said, yeah, sure. Come over. And when yeah, I put it on, his face said everything. He's like, I'm in our new office because we were designing our new <laughs> office at the time. And he yeah re-laid out the desks and the offices five more times. <laughs> he, he, we relayed it out 
we would redo the drawings. And then I, he's like, all right, put it into VR. I put it in VR. We walk through it. He ended up buying his own headset. We did a VR meeting and a walkthrough and did markups. It, that's what we did. And it's unfortunately that uh, property fell through and we're in the office that we're in now, but it was a huge plus side because we were getting ready to go. We were about to sign the lease. And then we found a column that was in the middle of someone's office because we did a scan. So we checked the scan. We're like, whoa, there's an issue here. We found out that we couldn't fit everything in there that we wanted to. It looked good on paper, but then once you walk and you sat at a desk, it's like, how do you get around this desk? You have like 10 inches, but you see that in VR. Yeah, dude, exactly. It, it, it's, I mean, as you said, you can't explain it. You just got to give it to them and put it on for yep. somebody to really understand that feeling of really being into it. And that's, that is what it is. You feel like you're there, but that's what virtual reality is. It's replacing your reality with a virtual one, but you feel like you're there. It's taking the senses, obviously not touch and smell, but your visual senses of feeling like you're there. That's what it does. And it is nothing beats that because then you can find the things that Clash Detective doesn't pick up. Like, hey, this this room just looks weird. It doesn't feel right. Or, hey, you know what? Now we've put in this furniture layout and there's not enough space for you to get around this desk. We need to use a shorter desk. Clash Detective doesn't pick that up. I agree. Yeah. You're even you can look at ADA clearances. There's so mm -hmm. many things that you can start to really pick up visually more so than just running a simple clash detection. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. Dude. Even code something as simple so as many different uses. Something as simple as different thicknesses and uh flooring. Right? Like you you run a clash detection, you're not picking up a clash of your flooring being different. Nope. Uh but you walk through it and you see, oh my gosh, like this. This flooring is uh, an inch or half inch, and you know, even with the transfer, it, it looks awkward. You know, mm -hmm. you can mitigate all this stuff way ahead of time. Exactly, and it's you're doing this before you build, and doing it before you build is a huge plus side. You can, it's one of the first times in human history where before the the building's actually built, you can visually stand in there and make sure you like it. Yeah, dude. You know, I saw a huge, um, like a huge, like uh, I, I'd say, kind of benefit for interior design with something like that, right? Being able to pick the actual finishes, make sure the colors match, and actually being able to give that to the owner and let them walk through. Because I can't even tell you how many times I was working with a design build firm, and we'd have owners come through. Initially, they're picking this carpet tile, they're picking this pattern, this color, and then we're kind of going through it, and they change their mind. And then you know, hey, we do a rendering for it, right? And, and the renderings obviously aren't perfect. They give you a picture. And as you're walking through, they make constant changes. If you can actually put somebody in that space and, and say, this is, this is what we have. And, and you know what's crazy is we've got it to the point now, just like you said, where if that model changes, essentially you can start visualizing those changes. So mm -hmm. That process is becoming quicker and quicker, being able to communicate, make those markups, send it or create those issues, send it back and, and get a different, like an updated model. I mean, dude, back in the day, it used to take me a couple days to get a really good rendering and, and to be able to print it out and give it to somebody and show them. And then they, they circle things, they make changes, you got to go back into it and you got to start working things and then they come back later. It, it, 
it just you think about how much time it saves. It's it's nuts. It really is. It, it's a huge time savings. And so you, you brought up interior designers. Another good aspect is with on large mechanical rooms, you have your facility management um, crew come in and before the room's even built, you put a set of VR goggles on them in that room and say, all right, what do you want changed? Do you want valves moved? Do you want this moved? Do you want something updated and changed? Yes, so, dude, definitely. Because a 10-inch pipe to redo it so you can move a valve six inches is not an easy task. But if you can put them in a VR goggles, they can say, you know what? I'd prefer to have that that valve eh, over here. You know what? Let's move this pump back four inches. Yep. That's you know, and then and even though I mean we put clearances on all of our equipment and everything as we're modeling, it's still VR speaks a billion words. Yeah, dude, it was funny. I was just about to talk about that because we had someone um we were talking a while back with uh I can't remember his name right now for some reason, but um he's a veteran and he owns a uh like a, a Revit create he, he creates Revit family content. And mm-hmm. We were talking about it, about essentially, if you don't model those clearances in, clash detection is not going to pick that up. To actually give somebody the VR environment and for somebody to actually look at it and say, you know, what happens when I turn this handle over here? Or if I open this door, this is going to get in the way. If I try to get through here, that's impossible to reach unless I have a ladder and all this and all that. If they can start having that input sooner in the process, it's huge. It's, It's very huge. But... Again, that kind of point, like that clearance has to be there for clash detection. Otherwise, it doesn't recognize it. But visually, yeah. visually, you can actually look at it and say, no, that doesn't make sense. Because if, I, if this happens and there's that input, right? So we're starting to overcome that. Like, the, yes, it would be great if everybody modeled clearances. But unfortunately, they don't. You can't yeah. expect that from everybody. And if you can give us a, a, essentially like a workaround that is that is visually, I think that's that is a good alternative to say, yes, anybody can use this. They can look and it, it makes sense. It's that perception, right? Yes, absolutely. And that just being able to visually look at that, it's is a huge plus because actually right now I'm working on a project that's at a school and we the it's a great way that the, the school does this. They actually have someone from their facility data management sit in every single coordination meeting we do. So that way, when we're talking about units and we're talking about access, we actually ask him directly and he acts as an owner's rep. Are you okay with this move? And then he immediately says, you know what? We can do this or we can do this or something. And that, that knowledge is a big asset plus. However, if we were able to do this VR walkthrough with him directly, we could just do it outside of the meetings as well. We could say, hey, this yep. floor is ready to go. I'm going to make the ceilings transparent so we can make sure you can access everything. We're going to go through your mechanical room as well. Let's get going. Yeah. And then we move. Yeah. Dude, it's so funny. I was working on a um, – I mean this is obviously before I started with uh, PPI and then TopCon Solutions, but – I was working for an architecture firm and we were designing a school and we were in charge of like the furniture layout for this specific project. And for each classroom, the teachers would have, you know, different furniture in there for the different grades. And 
it was interesting because I found out every teacher wanted to have input on their classroom. Every teacher wanted it laid out a different way. They had their own way. Like I, and what I did back then was I just printed out the PDFs of the furniture layout, you know, and I'd send it to them and kind of put measurements on it and stuff like that to be able to give them the capability to mark it up and, and send it back. Let me change it. But again, going back to that, if we can, you know, put a, give a teacher, Hey, this is going to be your classroom. Go ahead and walk through it and tell us what you think. If you want to move anything, just mark it up. Let us know, create this issue. We can send it back and get it changed. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's an awesome workflow that when you think about it, it, it can be used in so many different ways, not even just in construction, I guess, but in, in terms of, I want to say not just the construction teams, the construction firms, the design, the, the end user. Yes, exactly. You're empowering the end user and the owners there. I mean, we're, we're not building buildings because we're construction. We all like to build the buildings, but in the end, someone's going to use that building and VR and this workflow gives them the power to provide a better insight on what they're getting. Because how often do you have a home, someone who's buying a home and you walk through that home that you just built and went, oh, I wish I could have changed that ceiling. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. And then being an owner, so being on the opposite end of that, I mean, well, actually being on the same end, I guess, in that sense, even, mm -hmm. even during construction, even during the design phase, you know, you want to be involved. You want to make sure that everything is, if you're, if you're spending this money to build a house, you want to make sure it's what you want. You want that to be your dream house. Of course, you got to be budget conscious, right? We yes. have to be budget conscious, but as you're going through it, like I, I, when I, I mean, that's another thing I was doing essentially there for a while was residential design and you feel for these owners. It's like, they want to make changes and you gotta, it's like, okay, well, this change is going to take me this much time. And, oh, we want another change and how hard it is to communicate that and to really help them to visualize what that space is going to look like. And then you're right at the end, at the end product, when you hand that over, you want them to walk in and be like, oh my God, this is the best thing we've done. This is amazing. You know, you don't want that feeling of, oh, I wish we'd have done this. I mean, it is what it is, right? But at yeah. the same time, they go, if you started off thinking like that, it just continues to build as it goes on during time because you're always going to be wishing that you did that. And then if you get that done, there's something else, right? It, it always keeps going. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's insane. Yeah. It's a because we're we're actually working with someone local to, to design their house, and we're we are looking into depending on how big the house gets, we're we're looking into putting it into VR, and we haven't told them that we're doing that yet, and it's it will be a huge thing because they'll be able to walk through and actually see the space before a single shovel is put into the property that they bought. Yep, that's that's priceless in my opinion. It is, right? If you think about it, it's raising their confidence, not only in you guys as designer, as builders, it's it's raising their confidence in that purchase, right? When you make an investment in anything, you got to think about, we, we are all budget-minded, but we're all always thinking to, am I making the right purchase? Am I doing the right thing? Is this, is this, this is going to be great. If you can mm -hmm. actually back that information up with the data and show them like, hey, this is what you're going to get before it's even built. It's amazing in the way that someone, it can help someone feel, right? The morale of the project in itself goes up in that sense. That owner is 
likely to say if there's something that comes up, a change order, they're not going to be really, I mean, they could be obviously upset about it. We're all kind of so upset about changes in money. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. never a nice topic. No, no. But at the same time, if if you have their confidence, you have that that feeling of this this is going to go great starting out. If something happens, most of the time, yeah, it's a setback. But at the same time, if you can value that, if you can put the value, this is what happened. This is why. I mean, if it's if it's lead times, things like that, obviously, okay, there's there's not much value to say there. But if there's a yeah. change in the way that you do it, in the way that um, something is offered, a, ch- a change that's going to benefit them, if you can show them that value, help them visualize that, they're most of the time willing to invest that instead of pulling back and saying no, that's way too much, you know, or that's not the way I wanted to go. You have to be able to show that value. And that's that visualization to really give them that, that um, I want to say that confidence to say, yes, I'm going to invest in this. I'm going to do it. Yeah. It's a huge, and the investment is a, you invest it, you get your money's worth in, the, yes. in doing the drawings. It's because doing it, with the correct workflows and doing the design correctly up front will save you time and money in the long run at the construction time. Yep, completely agree. It's because you can take these BIM models, you can take everything we do, and you can purchase from it. You're not guessing, yep. you're not well, you can... buying waste. Exactly. I mean, it, it also, you know, Joey and I have talked about this, that BIM model needs to go so much further in terms of, you know, we were talking about it earlier, um, the handout, like facilities management, right? We want to be able to make this usable for the end user who's going to need that data. If it's facilities management, we want to give them a model that's going to have those assets, like we were talking about earlier with that barcode that's connected back to that cloud data that can give them all of the information on it, on the specs, like the cut sheet, the warranty Mm -hmm. information, you know, if you see a certain valve and we were talking about this, I mean, we've been talking about this for a while because it's exciting technology, but being able to actually, like you said, purchase from that, say, I know this valve was here. I can pull all the metadata. I need to, I need to replace this valve. Okay. I'm going to purchase this and replace it. And then I can go ahead and say, Hey guys, we've actually put a new one in. This is the serial number. This is all the information for this asset has this barcode. Let's tie it in. And if you, if you continue updating, see, that's what the Joey and I talk about this too. That's the value in it. As long as they keep updating that information, that BIM model, that, that database, as long as it keeps growing, that is invaluable to that building. If that owner ever decides to say, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and and sell this, or I'm going to transition this, or, you know, you have facility management that's transitioning new younger generations come in. To be able to give that information to train people, to hand it over to another owner, it's super invaluable to actually like for that that um, confidence in the investment that they're making. Right. I mean, that in itself is huge. Yeah. And the the facility data management part, which it's funny that you bring that up because we've been talking about this here as well internally for a while. The term we that's always gets thrown always gets thrown around is LOD 500 or Kobe. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge when it comes to certain work with like government agencies, they look for that Manu, um, medical manufacturing hospitals. They're looking for that data. And if they have the right people in place, 
they're asking for that data and they know that it exists and they want it. And it's great to see that these people now want it because it used to be, oh, yeah, it's pretty model. Now they realize the benefit of it of, hey, valve 12 on floor 36 just broke. It's a um, three quarter inch ball valve. The issue has always been, though, that they um, uh, the the owners, the facilities management teams, the, the people that actually utilize the data afterwards, their systems weren't set up to take it. And mm-hmm. one, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of these other thing, other firms, I guess it's two rather uh, these other firms, even though they're big, you know, Fortune 500 companies or the major organizations, they didn't have, uh, you know, space planning or even, um, you know, I'll, we'll call them updated models or as built models um, Mm -hmm. in place. Like they were just doing a CAD file every once in a while. And that's how they were updating stuff. Specifically talking about hospitals, um, you know, I won't poop too much on the Kobe word here because Kobe is the the standard that we output. But at the end of the day, you know, there's like 10,000 fields and they only need like 60 of them. Um, Yeah. But but the, the systems, the FM systems weren't able to take that information um, before and now we're getting to a point. Uh, so Autodesk had that uh, announcement where they, uh, I think it was Ar- Archibus or, or one of those that they they've announced a, a strategic investment with, and um, we're actually getting to a point where we can actually utilize this stuff. It makes sense. I think like JLL even has a bin department, and all these other owners have bin departments, and it's it's truly remarkable. I think UC Berkeley, uh, mm-hmm. all of these these hospitals um, and colleges are are getting. Are, are kind of leading the pack and it's nice to see it is, it is and but it's also it's oh go ahead sorry oh i was gonna say it's the one i always hear i mean joe we're, we're in pennsylvania who's the big leader in bim in pennsylvania which college um well they're gonna say it's penn state because they it is penn BIM, state. but they, but i yeah. won't say i won't say their projects are always bim Oh, I'm not going to go I've, too far into I've that. I've done a couple of their projects, so yeah, well, we we won't we won't go into that. I'm just saying, hey, hey. from school, from school wise, they're teaching it. They set the yeah. standards. You're they right. Set the they standards. set the standards. Bim execution BIM plans. Execution Who do you go plans. for? Penn State. You go Penn State. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, I think you know we're kind of tying back with all of this. You know, the BIM information, right? That's that's the big part, and when we talk about these end users, we talk about the owners in the way that they can use this information. It goes back to, I mean, I, I love this hashtag, but BIM is more than models, right? It's mm-hmm. about the information that is in that model. If you give somebody a pretty picture, that's great. But if they go to click on that pump and it's a mass and it doesn't have any information with it, what value did you really provide? You're not. The, the ability to actually see all those systems, complex as they are, to take that valve information to put it in that virtual reality environment or to put it even in someone's hands at that facility manager or even training someone new that's coming in to be able to say, here's what we have, put yourself in this environment and, and go with it. You can pull information from anything. It's a safe, like comfortable user interface. I mean, honestly, <clears throat> at the end of the day, when, when the owners are looking to expand, they're looking to move to a new business, Anybody else, a facilities manager decides, hey, I'm going to go to this other company. What do they do? They want to take that with them because that's the expectation. Once they have that, once they've been educated to that level to know this is out there and it's available, why can't I get it? 
right? Once we have that, and I, you know, you're right, guys, I see the movement pushing forward. I see a lot of owners, hospitals, like schools, so many different areas are saying we want BIM, but it has to be a smart model. It has to be more than just that building you know, model itself. It's about that information that's in that model, the warranties, the cut sheets, the asset mm -hmm. information, being able to tie all of that back. That's huge, well, especially as we continue moving forward. Let me pose a question to the both of you. Well, so first, let me give credit where credit is due. BIM is more than models. Johan Tuckler, shout out Sir. to him. Yep, yep. Um, my second question, or I guess my first question, my only question here is, um, so we're, you just mentioned like how, you know, modeling it and having a smart model makes sense. Um, and, and I'm with you. And now we've got this new term, digital twin. Uh, don't mm -hmm. get me started. But to you guys, my question is this. Do you think it is more beneficial and, and why I'm going to I'm going to add the conditional. You got to you got to explain yourself. Do you think it's more beneficial to have a Revit model that is fully modeled and detailed um, that may not be as cost effective with all this information in it? Or um, on the other side of that, a scanned model or a 3D photo with tagged elements so that even if it was loaded in VR or whatever, the tags actually come through for you and you you do get some information with it. I just uh, so I'll, I'll throw that to Matt first, man. I'll let you Ooh. answer that. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that's a good one because it depends. In my opinion, it depends on the situation. So if it's sure. a existing mechanical room that was done in the 1980s, 1990s, the scan and what you brought up with the scan file that's tagged, that's going to be the ideal aspect for that because from a cost perspective, that's what's going to make more sense to do. So you can take that, you can put it in the VR. And then from there, you can look at it and you have all the data and everything. So, but if it's so a brand new, but if it's a brand new building, if, if you're if you're going to let me interject here just for this to to tackle this part of it. So if it is an existing building, um, you know, pre pre CAD standards and definitely pre 3D yep. models, um, would you not find any more benefit? Or I guess let me ask this. Um, is the reason that you're scanning this room because it is going to be torn apart and retrofitted in some way? And if so, would it make more sense to just go ahead and do the modeling? Or is it likely some other reason that I'm so no, I was gonna I was gonna get into that. You cut me off. You 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 didn't cut me off, but you you went ahead of me. I was getting there. So we're actually I have <laughs> it's it's perfectly fine. So we're basically what it is is you scan it, and then that's your first step for the tagging part. You put all that info in there. Then when you go in for your renovation, that's when you do your Revit side. That's when you detail the crap out of this, and then you put the, all of that information in there. I definitely agree, dude. That's, I mean, in terms of existing conditions, you're not going to get any better than a scan, right? Yeah. In, in terms of what is there now, that Revit model if it's a year old, two years old, three years old, it's out of date at that point. I want to scan mm -hmm. because I'm actually going to see what's there. If it's a brand new building, yeah, I mean, the Revit model is going to give you a lot of it. And tagging items is great, but that Revit model, if you're talking it's connected to the cloud and we have assets connected to it, all the project schedule, the project information, all of that kind of stuff tied to it, 
then yeah, I'm going to go the Revit model in that case because there's more that I can do with it with verification and uh, like there's a lot of different processes that I can utilize with that that Revit model. But starting out, that point cloud is invaluable for giving yeah. us the existing conditions to even model off of. I mean, that's got to be the first step is to get yeah. that, yeah, and that scan. And Dave, that that actually brings up the next point. So I, I was just playing devil's advocate here. Um, I, I, Got, got to do it. Got to ask the tough uh, yeah, questions. You got to ask the tough questions. No, but, I get but Dave, it. Dave and I are uh, the company we work for owns a, a piece of software that actually takes your scan and converts it into 3D models. So like even if you just started with the scan and your first step was tagging it because, you know, it's the most cost effective piece of that that point in time, assuming your scan is is dense enough and, and of high quality, which anybody who does scanning is usually, you know, making checking for these things. We can bring it into a third-party software and create our Revit model when we get to that phase yes. uh, anyway. So yes. you've mitigated your... But your, you your do bring up a good point cost. with that, though, Joe. It also depends on the level of data that you get. I mean, mm-hmm. we all we have all gotten those point clouds that are all twisted and right on top of each other or oh. the ones that have a lot of deflection because they shot too far away. They didn't want to do a bunch of or, setups. Or there's no overlap. They just did exactly. different setups to tie them together. Yes. Yeah, so it's they, all based on that detail, that level of data that you get. Yeah. And that's when you get that data. But back to the original question, which, which would you prefer? It's a combination of the two. It just depends on the situation. Yes. Yep. Exactly. It's, I completely agree. Because you need both. It depends end. if the customer is willing to pay for the modeling, I guess, is what it boils down to. Right, guys? I, I, will, um. I mean, it always <laughs> comes down to that. Like, it's, yeah. it's always yeah. down to that. <laughs> customer wants to pay to, for hangers, they get the hangers. They don't want to pay for the hangers. I'm not going to show the hangers. <laughs> I'll, yeah, know. I, I'll make sure you can hang it. I'm just not going to show it. Exactly. We'll make sure it's in there, but you know, obviously it's going to be constructed, but do you yeah. go to that level of detailing when you're in the model? No. And it, it's, it's funny actually that I, I, I teach that in my Revit classes, you know, you got to understand what the project calls for. If that project mm-hmm. calls for that modeling, like I, I talk, you know, structural rebar. Okay. If it, um, if it benefits the project, to have everything of every string of rebar run through, yeah, model it. If not, create a detail. Say this is repeating. This is similar to this, or you know, detail it out and go forward because you know how it's going to be constructed. But if you don't have the time to take to actually go and physically model everything, then no. If they're not going to use that data, that data. If the owner doesn't want to use that, then it's is it really a value for you to spend time and money to put into it? No. Absolutely. It's it's something if you've got the time, then do it. I've done a project where they did one shear wall, but it was the main shear wall for a 65 story high rise. It was the primary load bearing wall on the first two floors. They detailed the shit out of that rebar. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. But I mean, liability. (laughs) Yeah, they had to. I mean, you're, you're talking about a building in Miami. It's hurricanes, everything. And yeah. we were running large duct and pipe through that. So they did that. That it was necessary. But it's not necessary on ninety percent of the time. Again, yep. Yep. do that do that in detail and that's how it's gonna get built. Exactly. Man, Matt, thank you so much for coming on, dude. This has been a great episode. 
Um, I feel like we could go on forever talking about we this. Could. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I know we've covered so many different things in this episode, it, man, but it is, what? this is, I was going to say it's, we brushed on a lot of topics and it was definitely great being on here to talk about everything because not everyone wants to talk about all this stuff and it's great to talk about it. Absolutely. Just, just means we're going to do a part two guys. Um, so Matt, any parting wisdom for our, our listeners uh, getting into VR and maybe even trying to um, validate VR with their, their owners or, you know, get it, get it embedded in their firm. So the only way to validate the VR is, if you can't get it into the firm, you put the time in yourself and then instead of a, do the approach I did, don't try to do a presentation. Just text your boss or whoever you need to and say, I want to show this to you. When are you available? We'll do it off hours, which some people that's a little crazy, but it worked. That's how we got it in here. Yep. It's to actually give it to them, put it in their hands and yep. let them see the value of it. It's establishing that's, that value. That's the that is the way. That's the only way to show your whoever your superior is that's going to make that decision. You have to show physically show them the VR. You ha that's how you have to do it. Awesome, dude. Well, thank you again so much, Matt. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in for another episode of Brewing with Bim. Uh, we look forward to talking with you all in the next episode.